Sometimes it's hard to understand the Bible, but I want to give you one tool to help you interpret the Bible accurately. It's actually one of the most important tools of biblical interpretation and one of the most misunderstood, too. Let's learn about the Bible's literary genres on this episode of the Gospel Gumbled Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. Help me out by rating and reviewing the podcast on your podcast app to help others find the podcast. And don't forget to hit follow so that you never miss an episode as well. Okay, let's get to today's episode. The Bible contains a variety of genres, each serving a unique purpose in conveying its message. Understanding the different genres within the Bible is crucial for interpreting and appreciating its diverse literary forms. There are, I'll say, eight major genres in the Bible. Let's dive in and we'll talk about each one. Number one, narrative. The Bible contains numerous narratives, which are stories that depict events and characters. Examples of narrative books include Genesis, Exodus, the Gospels, and the historical books like Joshua, Judges, Acts, and so much of the Bible is narrative, stories. When interpreting narrative passages, pay attention to the characters, events, and the overarching story. Consider the historical and cultural context, as well as the literary techniques employed. Look for themes, character development, and the ways in which God interacts with humanity. Remember that narratives provide examples of faith, obedience, and the consequences of disobedience. Sometimes people get tripped up when they forget that the narratives of the Bible are what happened, not what should have happened. Narratives generally do not comment on what was good or bad. You're supposed to pick that up through the stories. So, for example, in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah's family are really terrible. There is slavery. They treat each other horribly. The women are victimized over and over. Well, the women are also sneaky and manipulative, and the text doesn't say, well, that was bad. Don't do that. But if you read the stories, the consequences of their actions should tell you what the narrator thinks. That's just how the genre works. So that's the narrative genre. Let's talk about law. The books of law include Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they, uh, containing legal codes, commandments, regulations given by God to the Israelites. These books provide guidance on moral, ethical, and religious practices for the Israelite community. Approach the law and the commandments in the Bible with an understanding of their original audience and purpose. Recognize the cultural and historical context in which they were given. While some laws are universal in their moral principles, others were specific to the Israelite community at the time. It's helpful to consider the underlying principles and values behind the laws and their relevance in guiding ethical living today. In the future, I plan to review how to tell which laws are universal, such as do not murder, and which are not, like put a fence around the edge of your rooftop. I'll just say here that it's helpful to see laws in different categories. Uh, generally, the categories are moral, legal, and ceremonial. And each of these categories teach us something about the character of God. Okay, genre number three, 
wisdom literature. Wisdom literature found primarily in the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, uh, it provides practical guidance for living wisely, grappling with the meaning of life and exploring the nature of suffering and God's providence. These books contain pithy sayings, philosophical reflections, and dialogues exploring the complexities of human existence. And in some ways, the New Testament book of James fits here too, but not in all ways. When you're engaging with wisdom literature, recognize that these books provide practical wisdom for living a godly life. Proverbs offer general principles for wise living. Ecclesiastes explores the meaning of life and the pursuit of happiness. Job delves into the complexities of suffering and the mystery of God's providence. And so interpret these books as sources of wisdom, but also it's important to acknowledge their poetic and philosophical nature. They often make universal statements which are actually not universally true. If that sounds a little strange, let me give you an example. Let me read directly from Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Listen carefully to these two verses. Verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him yourself. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, I read these because in back-to-back verses, we are told not to answer the fool according to his folly, and then immediately to answer the fool according to his folly. Is that a contradiction in the Bible? No, that's just how the genre works. They're both true, and they're both really good advice. But wisdom requires that we know which one is better to follow in a given circumstance. And this is true of the entire genre. Wisdom literature is great about dealing with the paradoxes of life. Life is both precious and it's a vapor. It's both. Okay, genre number four, poetry. The Bible contains various poetic books, such as Psalms, the Song of Solomon, and portions of Proverbs and Isaiah, and many other uh, places as well. Hebrew poetry employs parallelism, figurative language, and poetic devices to express emotions, prayers, praises, and reflections on faith and life. In poetic sections, such as the Psalms and portions of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and most of the prophets, um, we see a lot of use of figurative language. Uh, Consider the emotional and experiential and reflective aspects of the text. Look for themes of praise and lament, trust, and the expression of human emotions in the context of faith. Uh, In order to uh, to interpret well, you have to understand that poetic language is often rich in metaphorical and symbolic meaning. So, for example, Psalm 91.4 speaks of the Lord, and it says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Does this mean that the Lord has wings? No, of course not. We're not meant to take this literally. It's a metaphor. The Lord provides refuge for his people, like a mother bird does for her chicks under her wings. This sort of thing is so typical of poetry, and it makes me wonder why conservative Christians insist that they take that they take the Bible completely literally. I'm pretty sure they don't mean that literally. The poetic sections of the Bible are filled with these images that require us to be more reflective, to slow down and meditate on their meaning. Sometimes poetry can communicate things 
that other genres cannot. C.S. Lewis once explained three types of language, normal, technical, and poetic. And he gave this example. Let's say, maybe I could say, it's cold outside. Okay, that's normal language. But I could also say it's 10 degrees below freezing. Ah, see, that's technical language saying the same thing. And then if I wanted to say the same thing poetically, I could say it's as cold as a cast iron toilet on the shady side of an iceberg. See, they all say the same thing, but that last one communicates something to you that the others don't, right? Well, that's how the poetic parts of the Bible are supposed to communicate to us the realities of God, the world, sin, grace, truth, beauty, and redemption. All right, let's move on. Uh, Genre number five, prophetic literature. The prophetic books, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the 12 minor prophets, they all contain oracles and messages of the prophets who spoke on behalf of God to address the spiritual, moral, and social issues of their time. These books often employ poetic language, vivid imagery, and symbolic actions to convey their messages. Most of what I said about the poetry also applies to these books, but these books are also unique in some particular ways. Uh, As you interpret the prophetic books, do so with sensitivity to their historical and cultural context. Uh, It'll be helpful to recognize that the prophets address specific situations and called their audiences to repentance, social justice, and faithfulness to God according to very specific historical realities. So, a strong knowledge of the specific historical, political, religious, social, and cultural context will serve you well here. You can look for themes of covenant faithfulness, social justice, warnings of judgment, and promises of restoration and grace. Uh, Consider both the immediate and future fulfillments of the prophecies. Actually, you know what? I think this uh, that topic will be a good future episode, so stay tuned for that. Genre number six, the epistle or the letter. The New Testament contains a collection of epistles or letters, including letters written by the Apostle Paul, like Romans, Corinthians, and Ephesians, and by other apostles, such as James, Peter, John, and Jude. These letters were written to specific churches or individuals, addressing theological doctrinal issues, ethical issues, and providing instructions for Christian living. When you study the epistles, remember that they were written to specific audiences and address specific theological, ethical, and pastoral concerns. It's helpful to understand, therefore, the cultural, historical, and theological backgrounds of the original recipients. It's helpful to look in them for doctrinal teachings, moral instructions, and practical applications for Christian living. The more you learn about the context of the letter written, the easier it will be for you to understand the letter. Uh, This is sort of like finding a long-lost letter or hearing one side of a phone conversation. Often, it's apparent that the writer is responding to a letter that he received from the church, and we don't have that original letter. Uh, It would also be helpful to understand these letters if you know your Old Testament well, because the letters make a ton of references to the Old Testament. Okay, finally, one more genre, and that is apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. The book of Revelation is a prime example of apocalyptic literature. It utilizes highly symbolic language and visionary imagery to convey messages about the future spiritual warfare and the ultimate victory of God over evil. 
The second half of the book of Daniel is also apocalyptic. This is the only genre in the Bible for which we really have no analog in our culture. However, it was a very well-known genre in its day, and we have a ton of examples of ancient literature for hundreds of years around that time, but it's a genre that died out, and we just don't use it anymore. But we do have something somewhat similar. If you combine two forms and a little bit transform the result, stay with me now. Think about a cartoon drawing of a donkey and an elephant, each with boxing gloves in a boxing ring, and they're about to fight each other. Now, what does that mean? Well, without any further explanation, you probably know that it refers to the American political parties of the Democrats and the Republicans. You know that because you live in a culture that has told you what those symbols are. But now, imagine someone finding that exact drawing in a thousand years, long after those parties have died out that person might be very, very confused. Well, that's how apocalyptic literature works. Now, turn that into a comic book or a graphic novel where you see a story, a series of images, but the pictures morph and change as the story developments with new characters and places and the plot thickens to a great climax. Now, if you turn that political cartoon combined with the graphic novel now into a text based book, without drawings, but just descriptions with words. That is apocalyptic genre. So then, how do we know what the images mean? How does our future interpreter know that the donkey represents the Democrats? Well, he has to study the political cartoons of the time, and thankfully we have a ton of scholars who have studied the images of the mountains of literature in the apocalyptic genre in the ancient world, and they can help us. That doesn't solve all the interpretive issues with the Bible's apocalyptic literature, but it can rule out the crazies for sure. This takes some time and work, but I love the apocalyptic literature of the Bible. And if you take time to study it with people who understand the genre, I trust you will too. Okay, so those are seven main genres. There are other subgenres and other uh, combinations, but those are uh, will get you started. Remember that these interpretive guidelines are not exhaustive. They're just a starting point for understanding the diverse genres within the Bible. It's important to approach the scriptures prayerfully, seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, utilizing appropriate resources and scholarly insights to deepen our understanding of God's Word. And genre is just one aspect of interpreting the Bible well. The Lord bless you as you seek to understand what He has given to us in His Holy Word. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I would love to make season two, but I need to make sure that it is worthwhile. So I'm paying attention to three things. Downloads, feedback, and money. It costs money to publish a podcast and not a small amount of work. Now, if you'll give me just $5 once, I'll give you your own private podcast link that will have all the episodes from Season 1 without any advertising, plus 10 extra bonus episodes. At various levels, you'll also get a lot of other cool stuff. Now, I'm not looking for a subscription, just a one-time purchase that will help me to know that this podcast has been helpful and that you would like me to make another season. Look for the show notes of this episode to find the link to give money. 
Podcasts are getting gobbled up by big corporations and conglomerates. Independent podcasters like me need your support. Thanks so much.